Welcome everybody back into the extremely riveting NBA podcast. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Carvel Teft. Today, we are going to be evaluating this year's rookies in a way that I think is pretty fun. We're going to be redoing the 2019 NBA draft, basically disregarding team because looking at positional needs and having to think about in those terms isn't really what this is about. We're going off of basically what we saw from this rookie season, who we believe in. Obviously, there are some lingering expectations from pre-draft evaluations. That's just kind of natural, but let's get into it. So Carvel, who's your top guy from this draft? My top guy's got to be Zion here. Um, it is it's crazy how he was able to switch the narrative um, so quickly upon his return. Obviously, Jaw was having one of the better rookie seasons we'll ever see from a guard, um, and Zion came back for 19 games and just exploded: 23.6 points a game, 6.8 rebounds, 2.2 assists, um, wildly efficient. The Pelicans were 13.6 points better. With him on the court, um, he got them back into playoff position where, you know, now we're thinking of them as as maybe the favorite to grab that eight seed. It seems like a lot of people are really high on them, on them being the team to hopefully get a playing game there or however that's going to play out. Um, but I think it was pretty obvious here just because obviously, although not by myself and not by you, he was regarded as an all-worldly talent. Um, I think we came to that realization that he was quickly and then um he's done nothing to debunk that so although jaw made a great case for me just by an outstanding rookie year for a guard and leading his team to the playoffs and all that um zion the 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 upside of a rookie that can score 23.6 points on i believe a winning record um in his first 19 games in the nba is way too much to pass up so I think that obviously there is a clear top two from this draft as far as guys that you would take going forward, and it was the top two of this draft. For me, the number one guy that I would take in this redraft is John Morant, and you cannot deny what Zion did. It was ridiculous. Uh, his impact on winning is probably one of the more impressive things to come in and do that as a rookie. I think that we see he still has so much room to grow defensively. Obviously, you have to be intrigued by the potential of if he adds a legitimate three-point shot to his repertoire, it's basically over, you would think. And I do believe that he will be an all-NBA player in the league. But I may be unreasonably high on Jaw. I just think that he is the most exceptional rookie passer that I've ever seen. I think that he commands the game in a way that you just don't see from rookies. He does not make rookie mistakes. He makes reads that rookies don't make. I think that he's going to continue to dramatically improve just as he has going from a unheralded freshman at Murray State to then the sophomore season he had to now one of the best rookie campaigns we've seen from a guard in our lifetimes. It's the composure, it's the intangibles, and it's the fact that as dynamic as he is downhill, as creative as he is around the rim, as powerful as he is, as many angles and just ridiculous passes he can make, I still think that if he is able to add a weapon as far as his off-the-dribble shooting from three, which I do think is totally in the cards, I think that he has, I think that, you know, his stroke is maybe not the most natural looking, but I think that he's shown that it's something that works well enough for him. And I think that that's just getting used to hitting it in rhythm in more difficult situations. I think that he will be, you know, a top five player in the NBA someday. And then the other thing is, is this is not necessarily about Zion's talent. What we're looking at here is whose career are we going to bet on? 
And as a basketball talent, it's very difficult to bet against Zion Williamson. But I think that there there's such a slim margin between them as pure basketball players. And then Zion, to me, has a serious potential injury concern in his career because of his gait, because of his weight. Like, he just is built like the kind of guy where... You think, yes, they're superstar talent, but I can just see more worlds in which Zion's career goes wrong due possibly to injury than I do with Jaw. And I think that it's just, it's so easy to build a team around Jaw. I think he's in a great situation and we're disregarding situation in this world, but I just bet on Jaw 10 times out of 10 and Zion's phenomenal, but I think that Jaw is the safer pick. Yeah, I I do think Jaw is the safer pick, but with my number one pick... I, I just have to go Zion here because what the ceiling I think is for a player like him, I, I don't see Jaw as the type of offensive talent from a lead guard perspective that's going to warrant him being picked over Zion just because I don't we clearly differ on the potential of his jump shot. I don't from what I watched this year, there wasn't something that clearly he can shoot it serviceably. Um, but he's averse to shooting it. And the hardest part about it, it's like what we talk about with Lamella Ball, where I'd so much rather work on his mechanics. I mean, I'd so much, yes, I'd, I'd so much rather work on his mechanics than his willingness to shoot a jump shot. And we were just talking about this earlier with DeMar DeRozan in the three-point shot. It, like, Jaw is programmed to attack the rack. And I am I do think he's going to be a great player. Uh, but, you know, I, I like I thought John Wall was going to be a great player. And John Wall turned into a great player, you know. He, he, he totally was a great player. He was an all-NBA guy at the peak of his career. But when we're talking about those guys that their whole life have been more athletic than every single kid that they're going against, so they're taking them to the rack every single time, it's really, really hard to rewire that. And it, it's so much more than teaching them to shoot a jump shot in the first place. He, he needs mechanic rewiring, all that stuff. Then to teaching them a whole new pace. And it's just these guys, Damian Lillard and Steph Curry's, that were the less touted recruits, uh, the smaller guys, the less athletic guys that just have already this internal program to rely on that jump shot because they needed to. It's so much harder with Jaw. I think Jaw's going to be a great player. I think he could, I totally see a world where he's better than Zion. But the ceiling is not high enough for me to put it there because I don't see a 25-point-per-game score. I do see more of a John Wall type, although I think Jaw's a better leader. I think he's going to stay healthier. I think he's just. I, I think he just impacts winning at a greater degree, but it's nothing like what Zion could be at his peak, in my opinion. But um, just seg- segueing to my number two, obviously I had Jaw too, and obviously yes. I'm sure you had Zion at uh, two on your list. I... So I agree with a lot of what you've said as far as it will never be Jaws' preference, obviously, to take 10 threes a game. And I just don't expect him to get there. I think that we've seen, I think back to his tournament performance at Murray State where he hit, I believe, six threes in that game. He was willing to pull them off the dribble. And yes, it's college basketball. It's different. And that was not his tendency throughout that season. But I do think he's just a dog and he's a guy that wants to improve. And it's not having to rewire his nature. He will always be a downhill get to the bucket weapon but what it is is getting to the point where you're not John Wall where you're not Russell Westbrook where you're respected from the perimeter and you can hit two threes a game at 35 percent or 36 percent I'm not asking him to be Damian Lillard I'm not asking him to be Steph Curry because I think he's so exceptional elsewhere where he doesn't have to score 25 a game to be a top 10 player in basketball I think 
he can score 22 a game and be a top five player because I think his passing is that revolutionary. And I think that we understate sometimes how special he is as a playmaker and as a lead guard as far as making those around him better. For a rookie, we do not see this. We see rookie guards come in and you will see flashes, but Dame was not like this. Steph was not like this. Russ was not like this. He's on another level to me as far as his ability to read the floor and to deliver passes from all angles with the right touch. I just think that he's truly exceptional there. And you're probably right that the best version of Zion is better than the best version of Jaw. I am just not as convinced as a lot of other people that we will get the best version of Zion even to this day. And maybe I'm holding on to the fact that I was a, a big jaw guy coming in and from pretty early on in his rookie year as well and was always lower on Zion than most. I do think Zion will be great. I would just bet on jaw over Zion. So let's get into where it gets pretty interesting because those top two, yes, we differed on our number one, but it was obviously going to be those two at the top. Number three, I have no idea where you're going to go, and I imagine that you have no idea where I'm going to go because there's this tier of guys who obviously have not established themselves as stars or did not have the caliber of seasons that John Zion did, and it's kind of about whose tools you like and who you believe in. So who do you have as your number three? Um, I kept to the order. I went with RJ. I kept RJ at my number three. Um, I would like to obviously say that I'm not huge on RJ and I don't um I I wasn't huge on him in the pre-draft process either but I do think that there uh there's substance in the whole he's one he's one of the most accomplished he is the most accomplished pre-NBA player since LeBron he was insane in high school all those AAU circuits everything he won everywhere he was always super productive he got to Duke he was so productive there um clear number three oh like he he has been mocked in the top three since he was a freshman in high school in this in last year's draft and he got picked number three overall so i i do think at a certain point that there's definitely undeniable talent there there's definitely undeniable work ethic there there's all that stuff and you know he was in such an atrocious atrocious situation um and when I wa- wa- watched him, I-, I was pretty impressed with the stuff he was doing. But like, what are you supposed to do there when you with all those non-shooters? It's the worst possible situation for him to develop in. Um, but I do think he's the type of player that can overcome that because I-, I love his mindset. I was glad that New York took him because I don't think he's going to get rattled the way a Kevin Knox might have or uh, uh, Frank Nielakina, these guys that can't really take the the pressure being in New York after one you know, maybe subpar rookie year. So for me, it was no one had excelled enough their rookie year to tell me I'm not going to take this guy's upside. Cause I, you know, you're looking for possible all-star all NBA guys with the number three pick. I, I can't take a guy that I, I, I just can't take a guy that I don't see the all-star upside with. Um, and RJ hasn't shown me enough to say he's not going to be that guy. Again, it's kind of like with the Zion thing. I would bet on players I have after him being better than him if I had to, but it's not a big enough margin where I'm not going to take the chance on that guy. And I find the style of play that he plays with, which is very forceful. He likes getting the ball. He, it, it I don't know. It, it strike, it would strike me as weird for him not to have some success in the NBA because he has had success everywhere. He imposes himself on the basketball court he loves getting the ball, and I mean, I don't. He hasn't had a real culture yet. He hasn't had a real 
constructed team. He hasn't had a real organization, and hopefully the Knicks are turning over the leaf a little bit here, um, and they could get a nice coach in there. They obviously have some new management, all that stuff, and I and I do believe in RJ in the future. So I went with him at three. I have RJ a few spots lower, and the reason for that is I don't see his career panning out as at an all-star level, and if that doesn't happen, then there are a bunch of guys that I would rather have as valuable not necessarily role players, but starters, third, fourth guys, then RJ trying to be my first or second guy. I think that, yes, I like his confidence. I think he has solid shot creation. I think for his size as a bigger guard, obviously the playmaking intrigued people. I think his handle is solid. I don't always love his decision-making. I I don't always love his shot selection. And yes, he's in a brutal situation in New York, but I don't love his jump shot I'm not sold that it's ever going to be a weapon or a legitimate part of his game and yes obviously he's a rookie and shooting 32 percent is not a massive red flag but he just doesn't seem natural from there I think even less so than a guy like jaw the fact that he's supposedly a righty there's just things about his game that just kind of strike me as weird and I like his control I like his change of pace I like his athleticism I do think that there's stuff to like defensively. He's, I would say, decently projectable. But the guy that I went with at number three, and I have no idea where you have this guy. You might have him way lower. I went with Rui Hachimura, who I was really impressed with in his rookie campaign. And the reason I did that is basically I'm not betting on ceilings with a lot of these guys because I don't believe in many of their ceilings. I don't really believe in RJ's ceilings. With Rui, I get a guy who as a rookie gave you over 13 and 6, 48% from the field, 27.4% from three. I was far more impressed with him than I expected to be. I did not love him out of college, but I think that his tools translated much better than I expected. Confidence, aggression. I think that he uses his physicality really well. He has a great handle for his size, or at least a good handle. He's able to get his own shot. He has the ability to grab and go and push and transition, which becomes more and more valuable as we see guys like Siakam and Giannis thrive in that role. He's highly skilled out of the post and mid-range, which yes, are both sort of dying arts, but I would always rather that someone have those skills than not have them. He competes on D. He's a good help defender. He's a 7-2 wingspan, and I just believe in him a lot on that end. I think that he's going to continue to get better and better there. I think that his jump shot just looks too good. He's too good for mid-range to where I'm going to bet against him developing a three, even though it's a shot that he never took in college, really. But I like that he's taking 1.8 threes a game in the pros, and I just don't think you can expect that to develop within one year. So I see him in a three and D mold, basically, except there's more shot creation than just the three and D. I shouldn't have put it in those terms. I think he's a quality defensive wing who can get you a bucket, who can give you 18 a game and really good defense. And that is an extremely valuable thing in the modern NBA. And he's just a guy that I would bet on. Yeah, I don't have him in my top 10. I I don't really, I believe in him in the sense that I think he's going to be around in the NBA on a rotation for a while. But I, I, I watched a decent amount of Wizards basketball. I don't like the way he moves. Um, it's not very fluid. I, I don't really see much upside in his game other than the three-point shot coming in, which I, I don't know. I mean, he played 29.7 minutes a game. I, I don't know how many much more opportunities he's going to get in the league. His skill set, he's not assertive enough to me or dominant enough. Where And I don't know, all those Wizards numbers were inflated in the first place because all they did was play offense. I just don't, I, I don't see a future where he's good enough to take him through. Like, for me, it... 
if you don't want to believe in RJ, that's fine. If you don't want to believe in anyone, that's fine. But every year in the draft, someone takes a jump. Like, someone is going to take that second-year jump. Someone is eventually going to take the third-year jump. I, I got to bet on someone. Like, we're talking about... I'm not tanking for a year, not selling tickets for a year to draft real Hachimura after seeing him for a year. Like, it doesn't have to be RJ, but someone is going to... Like, Zion and... I think we can both agree, Ryu's probably not going to be an all-star. And someone other than Zion and Jaw is going to be an all-star in this class, by by most odds. Like, it, it should happen at some point. And I think that person would just be who I take there unless they don't translate into winning at all. And at this point, I, I don't, I, I'm not really looking for, like you said with RJ, you said you're, you would rather have someone that fits in more and all that stuff than him be the first option. But that's just not what I'm, I mean, we're, we're leaps and bounds away from the point where we're looking at players like we look at Russell Westbrook now, where they're in their prime and then we evaluate and be like, Okay, the, you know, you a modern team can't really fit around Russell Westbrook. We don't know what a modern team's going to look like when R.J. Barrett's in his prime. So for me, it's like uh, he's got a dominant skill set. He likes to have the ball. Playmaking and scoring are the two biggest factors of player value, valuation for me. So I, I took, again, I'm not a huge R.J. guy. I bet my money on if anyone is going to be that guy to take the leap um, that we've seen in so many draft classes. It's going to be me, him. But Rui for me, Rui for me was just—I don't know. I—I I, I almost want to say people are right now as high as they ever are going to be on him, just because I—I I don't know how much more opportunity he's going to get than starting forty every game that he played in this year, playing thirty minutes a game, and and being in that such a free full, uh, free flowing offense in Washington. So I understand it in your explanation that you're going that you want the safe guy and you like that guy, um, but I just could never fathom being a GM of an NBA team and settling for that at three. Well, and I understand that, and I wouldn't have done that in the moment. But now that we have actually seen these guys play, I just don't, I just don't believe in the upside of an RJ Barrett and. If you're coming into the draft, I think it's a tough thing to convince yourself of to say, you know, it would be like if someone took like an Isaac Okoro type third overall this year. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. You don't draft a guy who you think is going to be a pretty good to good player third overall. But if you are if you have actually seen that guy play and I am confident that that is what he's going to be, I would kind of rather take that. And this is a weird draft where I'm not sold by a lot of guys. I could have definitely put my number four above him because there is somewhere where I see the star upside, but I also see more bust potential. Uh, so maybe you just don't like his traits as much. I actually think that he's decently aggressive. I think he's aggressive enough, and I think that he's comfortable with a lot of his game, especially offensively. I think that there's room to grow defensively, and I don't see him being an all-star, but you know, a lot of the times the guys that impact winning aren't necessarily all-stars. So let's move on. Who do you have at number four? Number four, I had Garland. Um, again, I didn't love Barrett or Garland, but I mean, I just believe the way to go in the NBA is to go, you know, like these guys are one year gone, you know, and there's so many examples of that second or third year leap. Um, and again, I'm betting on it here with Garland. I I might be too high. I might have been too high on him coming into the draft because um, he enamored me with the with the 
shot creation skills. But I, I'm still I, I'm still into it, and I'm still into his game. Um, I think he had a pretty respectable year for a rookie guard. Uh, I think he was thrust into kind of a weird situation. He's next to Colin Sexton, a pretty ball dominant guard. Obviously, so much dysfunction on that Caval- in that Cavaliers organization this year. But he has that natural wiggle. Um, that's hard to replicate. It's, it reminds me a lot of CJ McCollum. Uh, he's, he's not a bad playmaker. He's, um, he's, he seems to be pretty comfortable out of the pick and roll. He's very deceptive. The thing for him, I think he shot it somewhere around 43% from zero to three feet. That's just terrible. Um, you know, and, but that's really the, like when you look at his game, which is, Pretty inefficient, not terrible for a rookie guard. Again, um, I was impressed with his year. But when you look at his game and his percentages from everywhere, it was really just around the bucket, which is something that I think can really be, you know, we kind of saw it with Tatum a little bit. It can be correctable. Um, and you can add those finishes and you can add strength and it will work out. He shot um, 44% from 3 to 10 feet, which I think showcase he has amazing touch. Uh, and I think that really showcased it. He's good from floaters, which is like, just to put that in comparison, like Steph Curry for his career is less than 44% from three to 10. So that, that, that's a good NBA guard little touch right there. And that's a really important shot for them. Um, so if he did have just, you know, the, the star guards usually are above 55%, um, from zero to three, something like that. If he, if he had that in his game, I think he'd be efficient. I think he'd score a lot. I think it would open it up from three. Um, and, and I like Garland just overall. I think he's, I think he's a good prospect. I think they're, there is definitely a world where he turns into CJ McCollum type of player. And again, I'm going to take that type of guy over. Um, you, you know, I can trade, I can sign, I can draft. If I'm smart, so many guys that can fill roles in the NBA and that can be important and play defense. But for my first four picks at the very least, I was going, you know, going for the all-stars. And I think there, there's a world where Darius Garland's at. Where do, where do you go for? I went with Garland as well. And I think you're right as far as uh, the way that you went about this, and maybe I overvalued how guys produced in their rookie seasons because I probably should have had Garland at three because I really see a world in which he is a star, and I think if you look at the advanced stats, they are not all that favorable to him, turnover prone, inefficient. I know that out of the pick and roll, he they scored .76 points per possession, which is abysmal, but it's about the skill set. 12 and 4 this year on 40, 35 and a half, 87 and a half splits. That's not exceptional in any way, but I see a star skill set, which is what I saw before the draft, which is why I think so many of us got sold, even though it was only on six games of film or whatever. He has the change of pace ability. He gets defenders on his back. He's really savvy in that way. He, ha- I love his handle. It's creative. He's mean hesitations. He's really patient, p- patient, and he also has a quick first step. He just controls the game. He looks like a star point guard when he's out there. He can whip passes, can make a variety of passes. I think he's kind of underrated as a playmaker, and maybe we didn't see him in that primary role as much as we would in a world in which Colin Sexton didn't exist. I thought he made a lot of nice, tight bounce passes out of the pick and roll, like his step backs. I like his floater game. I just think that there's so much creation and playmaking potential where I've always been a Garland over Sexton guy, even as Sexton's production increased, and it definitely got closer as that happened, but I just see a world in which Darius Garland is so much better than Colin Sexton is right now, and in the only lineup that he played in, in any volume without Sexton, it was him, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, John Henson, and Kevin Porter Jr. That is not an inspiring lineup at all, 
but they had a net rating of plus 6.1 in 65 minutes. It's not a big sample size, but if you look at every Garland-Sexton tandem lineup, it's abysmal. They have a terrible net rating. They're apparently the worst defensive duo ever by defensive rating. And yes, he has a long way to go on that side of the ball. He only takes 1.2 free throws a game, and I want to see him be more assertive downhill. I want to see him be more confident because I think he's also a bit contact-diverse at the rim, which is not you know a trait that you want. But he is young, and he can maybe grow into his body a little bit more. He takes risks as a passer, so that's why the turnover numbers are pretty high, and the assist-to-turnover ratio isn't great. But I mean, great playmakers take risks. Jason Kidd had a lot of turnovers. Luka has a lot of turnovers. These are guys who see things that other people don't see, and they try for them. And I'm not comparing Garland to those guys, but I would just way rather have that than a guy who has his head down and is exclusively looking at the bucket and doesn't see those opportunities come about. So I probably should have had Garland at three because um, I just see so much more star potential with him. I also see more bust potential. But, you know, maybe I shouldn't live life scared. And maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't bet on <laughs> bet on Rui over Garland. But so we both line up with him there. Let's move on. Who do you have to round out the top five? Uh PJ Washington at five. And again, he's another guy that um you know, I, I really considered him at four because I do I do think he is a higher ceiling than people give him credit for. Uh but at the end of the day, it wasn't high enough to the point where Garland and we're talking about all-star and, and, you know, a star in this league. But PJ is the first guy where it's like, this guy could be a really, really just solid player on good teams for a long time. Um, he's shown so many more layers to his game every single year that I watch him from his freshman year at Kentucky to his sophomore year to his first year in the league. He's he's added shooting, obviously. And then he added some playmaking. There are some awesome clips I saw on, on Twitter the other day of just some of the short rolls and passes he had out of there that were really high-skilled. He's shown um, a very high motor, obviously, with his progression. He's obviously showed an ability to stretch the floor. He's shown an ability to be at, at least not a negative defender. He, he, can, he can defend a little bit. He can switch. He can move his feet a little bit. And I do think he could be, he could be a really good and efficient third fourth option on offense and maybe even in the second third option on good teams um and that's because he can he can be a bruiser in the post he can score from three he's obviously great from the corner they love to stick him in that corner can play in the pick and roll he's got the short roll game down and he competes at a really high level he plays defense so right here i'm you're not you can't miss with this after his after his rookie year you know, he could not go up from here and you, you have a really nice player. And I think um, that that's another he's kind of in that re Rui mold in in the production wise. But I just think I think he was way better this year to begin with. And then I think he can just because his style of play, I just thought it was a lot more. Charlotte's offense was a lot more how a normal NBA offense is going to function for these players compared to Rui. And I think PJ not only that but he also has a lot more upside in his game so i know you're high on pj too so i'm interested to see where he goes on your list but he was at five for me i have pj at five as well and the offensive versatility stands out he can acquiesce into any system you see games where he's sort of just constantly moving without the ball and the majority of his offense comes from spot up threes you see games where he's operating out of the pick and roll where he's picking and popping where he's scoring out of the post and he's just fluid the reason 
that I had him lower than a guy like Rui is I really see the two-way upside with Rui, and I'm not as sold on that with PJ, although he is young, and you're right, he definitely does care. I just think he's a guy that's going to contribute to winning, and I don't know, he can always, right now he is the most valuable skill for any player in the NBA, which is that he can really shoot the three ball, shoots over 37% from deep, and that's almost entirely off the catch, but good, he knows his role, he doesn't try to do too much, and so... I agree. I think it can only go up from here. There's no world in which PJ Washington is not a good yeah. NBA player for a decade, decade. No world that I can see, at least. I do have a question for you. Okay. Because I, I'm genuinely amazed by this. Yeah. After what? what I think we've both watched a lot of Wizards and Hornets basketball. Yeah. I, how do you think that Re Hachimura is better than PJ Washington or going to be better? Okay. Here's the thing about Rui that I really like. I think that Rui. So first of all, the defensive ability. I like. I, he's long. He tries there. I think he's physically gifted. He wasn't that great of a defender, though. No, he wasn't. But I think that he projects well enough, and I think that he has instincts that work and will continue to improve on that side of the ball. And then the other thing is, I just I like the I like his shot creation. I like the fact that he gets mid range jumpers. He gets looks for himself. Like those are the skills that guys have that take them to the next level. You can be the overly simplistic shoot threes layups guys which obviously that's what the analytics favor, but the in-between game is what set guys apart. And I believe that I, I'm so confident that he's going to add that three-point shot that I basically just have that in the bag as something that is going to be a part of his game. And then I believe in the defensive ability and I believe in the creation from in-between. And I also think that he's kind of a bucket hunter. Like he moves without the ball and he gets in the right spots. I just really like his game. Maybe I'm crazy. I like Rui. I just, I guess, I just don't see the shot creation. I, I, I understand that he can shoot off the dribble. I've seen him like dribble to get to the spot, but he yeah. plays so straight. Like he has no whip. He plays so straight up. There's no, it's not real shot creation. It's just like he, he can dribble into a shot. I, yeah. I totally, I'm imagining what yeah. you're saying. He, I, I, I've seen him pump from the three point line and take that one dribble into the mid range shot. But when I don't know, when I think of shot creation, I think of like Kawhi's mid in between game shot creation, which is just. I just can't project him because he's this power forward that is too slow to play in that hybrid forward role, but he also doesn't have the base to really play like a power forward. But I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I guess this is what will divide us in this class for the rest of time. This is going to be my moneymaker. I like, okay. The Hodge. I Don't you think that... You might be higher on the Hodge than anyone in America. I might I don't be. think many people outside of the Wizard fan community would project this guy over our Garland in Washington right now. Maybe I'm the highest guy on the Hodge in America. <laughs> I, I, like, I really thought that three through six and maybe seven was relatively interchangeable for me. Um, the thing with Ruby is like, I don't know, like... I obviously Kawhi has more wiggle in his game, but he's pretty mechanical. He gets to his spots and he rises up and he shoots in people's face. And this is not a Rui to Kawhi comparison, but I do see shades of that where, yeah, it's not what you see traditionally from all these guys. He's not Jason Tatum out there, but I think he's a guy who can get to his spots and can shoot over people. And I think that that's valuable. I think that's enough on the Hotch, though. <laughs> I think that's enough on the Hotch. Let's move on. Who do you have at number six? career. <laughs> And at, at number six, I have Eric Pascal. Um, and he's a guy, we have a tendency as the mass media that we are to put a ceiling on guys that surprise us at a year one. Pascal is a guy that is a second round pick, obviously not talked about pre-draft, 
not a huge prospect or whatever. And as soon as he impresses us, we're like, wow, what great value the Warriors got. But that's not it. That's not all. This is a guy that plays with tenacity. Was came from a great program, that great Villanova program that's breeding good NBA players right now. Mm-hmm. High motor, clearly a high motor. High motor on the court, clearly a high motor off the court. Been a guy that progressed, worked through a system, worked four minutes at Villanova, all those things. So now we're seeing a guy that's one of the most productive rookies in the league, translates to winning so well, can guard three positions at the very least, super strong, and then also moves without the ball, sets good screens, does all these things, can pass a little bit. Why are we putting the ceiling on him? And I do agree that it's going to be hard to develop in in the hopeful, hopefully winning atmosphere next year with Stephen Clayback for the Warriors. But I refuse to do this thing where we put the hard cap on Pascal because he is such a, he's such a tantalizing prospect for me. Um, it, it, it's obviously pretty reliant on that on that jump shot coming through he can shoot the mid-range pretty well it's not completely comfortable he kicks his leg back kind of weirdly but you know he's in the same building as the two greatest shooters of all time in my opinion so i I, i'm not going to bet against him i think he's so tenacious at the rim that it makes me believe in him and i love those players that just go get it and he goes and gets it he forces the ball down the rim I don't know. I, I really it, it might be a little bit of bias because I saw him play more than most rookies because I'm a Warriors fan and you know whenever they were tight keeping games tight I, w- I would turn it on. Usually Pascal's on the floor, but I I really do believe in him and I think that he could be a super valuable player for some good teams. And you know the people behind him, I all I kind of assign them to more of role players and Pascal I would see is more of a key player. Although obviously. I, I would put a cap on the whole all-star ceiling or anything like that. Pascal's interesting. I think that the role that we saw him in this year where if D'Lo wasn't on the floor, he was pretty much the number one option, creating his own shot from the mid-range and all that and bullying people down low. That was awesome. I think that that can only be good for his development, but I think that what really is going to translate is his toughness, his IQ, his feel. I think that we'll see him making plays out of the short role, kind of in that Draymond-esque role. Uh, and I think that he's going to contribute all around. I like Pascal. I don't have him here. At number six, I have a guy who I think there's just more of a mold for in the current NBA, and that's Brandon Clark, who was highly productive as a rookie, 12 and six on 62% shooting, 40% from three. Obviously, has become famous for his floater, which is a weapon he can just get it off at any time, and has ridiculous touch from there. Super athletic. I think he's a transition weapon and only more so in real life not in this redraft reality where he's in Memphis with Jaw who is just going to feed him in those spots for years to come I think he makes quick decisions and I love guys who just know their role and don't try to be more than they are I think that Clark is a great example of that and then I think defensively uh, I think that he'll have legitimate value as a rim protector in help situations he's not going to be a five for you But I do think he's a guy that can come over and make some plays. And I think that he's mobile enough to defend on the perimeter well enough where there's versatility for you there. And I don't completely believe in some star ceiling for him. But I think as a rim runner, as a transition guy who keeps people honest with his shooting, who has that in-between game a bit because of the floater, I just really like him all around. And I think that he's a guaranteed good player, which after six... I got a little bit shaky on, and there were some guys where I wasn't sure how much value they were guaranteed to give you. Yeah, I have him. I have him next on my list, so no complaints there. I I definitely have a 
harder ceiling on him than anyone, which is, again, I, I like to mold my draft just because it's only been one year off, off how good these guys can be. And Brennan Clark, I don't know. I don't see, again, he's one of those guys that surprised us. To an extent, I think I think people were pretty shocked that he fell that much in the fell that much in the draft, but he still came out and surprised us. He was a 20s pick that um, should be top five in rookie of the year conversation, I believe, or somewhere up there, and 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 he came out and played his ass off. But the skill set for me, it's valuable. But you know, right now he's a bench piece. I don't really see where he fits in that much. I think he can do this a lot. But there's not that much more to it for me, and I don't see where he would expand. The three-point shot, obviously, he shot it at 40% this year on a super low volume. I think it was pretty much 0.4 made attempts per game on one attempt per game. But you add that, and then, you you know, he's he's got the good roll game because he's a good floater. I, I I don't really believe in him on the defensive side of the ball. So he's just... For me, he he's great value for where they picked him, but I I'm not gonna overshoot the value on the repick, even though it, I mean we're we're right next to each other on this. So, but I I definitely am pumping the the just to be clear, I'm pumping the brakes on Brandon Clark a little bit because I do think he's becoming a little bit overhyped, mm-hmm. just because he was productive. This skill set isn't something that we're like just coveting to the max in the NBA right now. He's a weird defender. We don't really know where he is at. He hasn't been a great rim protector in college or the league. And then he's a guy that is a good role. Like, it's like, we're not begging for Ennis Canner around here, right? Like, we're not begging for really good touch guys that can play well in the pick and roll and score efficiently on offense, but are kind of a question mark on defense. And yes, I know he should be better as a... a, a, a floor spacer hopefully in the future and transition guy and hopefully a better defender but I don't know I, I I'm not sold on his skill set but I do think he's going to be a productive player for a long time and that warrants this pick I don't think he's going to get that much better I just think this draft kind of sucks like yeah, yeah. I, if, if, and that's why we both have him in the top seven yeah exactly like I'm not a huge Brandon Clark guy I think that I like I, I don't know I like his upside defensively a little bit more than you do I think although I think he has a 6'8 wingspan too, and he is 6'8, which not a great sign. He doesn't have overwhelming length there, but I like him. I definitely don't love him. And I think that, you know, part of the deal with him pre-draft was he was coming into the draft at almost 23 years old and people were saying, how much better can this guy get? But he ended up just being better from the jump than people expected, I think. And, you know, 23 is still young, but I, well, he's almost 24 now. I don't see incredible room for growth. So he's your number seven. My number seven is RJ. And there is too much that I like to let him fall any further than this because he has that alpha mentality that you don't see elsewhere. He has the combination of athleticism and handle and playmaking that you don't see with a lot of these other guys. I just think he's kind of okay at a lot of stuff. And I don't see many star qualities from him, especially compared to if I'm going to take a risk on someone compared to like Garland. I see some star qualities. I just think... He's awkward. The There he are is. too many things that concern me. The he 61% is. free throw shooting concerns me. The fact that he might be shooting with the wrong hand concerns me. He's just kind of weird. And obviously, it's so unfortunate for a primary ball handler who does not shoot well at this point to play in New York where dudes are just taking mid-range pull-ups all the time and it's 
Julius Randle's having his fun with the ball in his hands, and like that's a nightmare. But I think that there are real concerns there that would exist in any system. And, you know, seventh isn't bad. (laughs) I just think you have to pretty much be betting on him capping out at that point. Because, I mean, if if we're talking about an R.J. Barrett who can shoot 36% from three, this guy can play defense, he can switch, he competes, he knows basketball, he's been around and a top player Mm -hmm. his whole life. He can score that 17 points a game. He can he can drive to the rim. And I, and I don't think he's, you know, we saw him defer in college a little bit. Um, it, it was unfortunate that it was Zion because then at the end of the game, he was still the perimeter guy if it had been. But I just, I just think he can totally play second fiddle. And I think there there's, there's totally a world where he's a good second fiddle just because I, I do think he plays the game the right way in, in the sense that he competes hard. He knows the game. He knows the spacing. And... I don't know. I just feel like putting him behind Clark after the conversation we just had where we don't think Clark's going to get too much better, although we admit he's productive, and what RJ is already, which really, you know, it wasn't a bad rookie year, especially considering the circumstances. you you got to be really, really low on RJ, which is you clearly are, and I'm clearly not. Um, but it definitely, it definitely surprises me that he would be below the hotch, first of all, and then... <laughs> And then Brandon Clark. I'm unconvinced by RJ. I don't see him ever being a 36% shooter. And of course he's from three. And of course he's young. But this has been the glaring weakness in his game, you know, for a few years, I would imagine. It certainly wasn't college and it certainly wasn't his rookie year. And we haven't seen improvement. I just don't think he's a natural shooter from the perimeter. And you can only change so much. And you can change a lot. Probably not with the New York Knicks coaching staff, though, which is another concern. Yeah. I just thought, you know, we've we've seen guys do it, yeah. and again, I'm not, you know, I, I was thinking Jalen Brown most most recently, yeah. uh, just complete turnaround on the jump shot, and obviously, you know, and he was another guy that struggled with a jump shot throughout his entire career beforehand. But obviously, there there are, there are bigger concerns there, and the Knicks aren't going to help him out. Yeah, but. Jalen also had the Celtics. I don't want to the RJ advocate here, first of all. I feel like I'm becoming the RJ advocate, and I don't want to be put into that role, but I do feel like I need to defend his honor a little bit. I just don't see many realities in which his career goes well. Like, I just don't really like his skill set that much. I know. For, for me, I think it's just this. We're both... Because I'm, I'm not... I, I do think the most likely scenario might be... Yeah that he fizzles out because it's hard for a player with his mentality to, if he's not going to be able to score the ball, it's hard to imagine him not being kind of losing his place in the league. You know, we see these uh, guards, if you don't have it, it, it's very hard to play you. But at the same, like, I just feel like nothing changed that much in the one year since the draft to the point especially with the guard position to the point where I'm going to completely give up on that because at the same time it's the most important skill set in the league and I will I don't know I will take drafting this dude and maybe busting if if I have those percentages in my favor over getting like a safe guy that I I genuinely will say is this guy's not going to be an all-star but let's move on let's move on all right who do you have at number eight at eight I had Hero um to the Pelicans he is another guy like Brandon Clark at seven, who I think is more safe than anything else. I don't adore him, but partly because I think he became a little bit overrated. Um, 
younger kids really like him. Couldn't have anything to do with the color of his skin. But there is always a place for players who make big shots. And he did that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was a guy that is a reliable wing, especially in crunch time. He shoots the ball well. I think he shot it like at 39% from three. He got a little banged up um, near, the, near, near the end of the cut short season. But there's no reason he shouldn't get better. And there's no reason that he shouldn't have a role in the NBA for a long time. He competes in de- on defense. He's just a competitor in general. He's never going to be a plus on that side. But, uh, you know, he's fine. Everyone can use shooters. And he's a guy that also – he competes, man. Like, he's he's not looking to just go out there and shoot that three-point shot. If he doesn't have it, he, he'll get in there. He'll get his hands dirty. Um, but first and foremost, he's a shot creator. He can, he can get it off. And I think at eight, when you're looking at value – if that's a guy that can come off your bench or slide into the starting lineup for a long time, compete, give you good minutes, get his hands dirty, hit a lot of three balls, I'm good with that. And I and I didn't buy anyone else enough to put him over him. So, you know, I still like Tyler Hero. Who do you go with? So my eight versus nine is difficult because my number eight is DeAndre Hunter. But spoiler, my number nine is Tyler Hero. And this is interesting because I was never a DeAndre Hunter guy throughout the draft process. And I was a big Tyler Hero guy. He was one of the few prospects in that in the draft that I actually really liked. But at the end of the day, it's a guy rising from 13 to 9 and a guy falling from 4 to 8. So I think that I do need to keep that in perspective. With Hunter, he's mechanical. He is not a natural bucket getter. And that is the reason I've never been a huge fan of his. He scored 12.3 a game this year on 41% shooting, 35.5% from 3 The Hawks were almost five points per 100 better with him on the floor, but that's most likely just because he played with Trey Young and the Hawks were an abomination when Trey Young was off the floor. He has decent shot creation. He is strong down there. He's a solid shooter. And I think that where you get the value is just in the three and D mold. And the defense is what's special. I mean, he was probably the best defender in college basketball. Um, He's not exceptionally quick, but he is strong and he is versatile there. And so... I don't love DeAndre Hunter. I think that he's solid, but versus Hero, as much as I liked Hero, Hero has been basically what I expected, but just as a rookie, and you know, you should never discount people's room for growth when they're 20 years old, but that's kind of what I'm doing with Hero because, yeah, he's a bucket getter. He's a great shooter. I worry a lot about the defensive value with his negative wingspan and his lack of overwhelming athleticism. So it's really close. I thought about changing it because I definitely like Hero more offensively, but... I think Hunter's just going to be a solid 3 and D player for his career. I don't know. I don't know if I love the decision I made there. It's close. I was actually, as you know, I was higher on um, DeAndre Hunter than most. I I didn't beef with the number four overall pick selection too much. And I still do like him. And I actually think I had him almost as high as eight on this list. And I actually moved him pretty far down just because he's got a weird... It's a tough situation, another tough situation, right? Because you're the number four overall pick, and then you're immediately told you're going to defer for the next five years at the very least. And, you know, Trey Young, I mean, geez, that dude will. I mean, it is so hard to shine next to him. Yeah. So hard. You think he's a willing passer, but it's not like that. He he, yeah. he passes so much more out of flash than substance. Yeah. Um, But for Hunter, I just. The transition to the perimeter is a little bit weird. I know he wasn't a tr- ever a traditional post player at Virginia, but they have that kind of clunky offense over there, and he was never the guy that, you know, is... I don't know. He had so much... He's having to add this 
perimeter game where there was a lot of like pump and goes and he's driving from the perimeter a lot and it never seemed like he was that type of player in college and he was looked way more comfortable at it than I thought he was way he's way more athletic than I ever thought but it was it's weird it's weird to watch and I don't know if those kinks are really going to be worked out which makes him a really weird fit on offense because they were playing him in pretty much a small forward role and I just always projected him at the power forward spot kind of like a Paul Millsap sort of role. I think that was my player comparison for him beforehand. So I do still like Hunter, and he still is on my list, but I, I, I dropped him, and and the reason was just because I think it's kind of an awkward fit, and also the defense hasn't translated how most hope. Again, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Yeah. It can't be stated enough how hard it is to play defense when no one else around you wants yeah. to play defense. But I might have been too low on him. I agree that there's something unnatural about his offensive game, but I I was just trying to keep in perspective that he does have valuable tools, and I think that his floor is high enough. Like, it feels weird for me putting him above Hero because I was so much more of a Hero advocate. And he had a good year. And Hero had a better rookie year than Hunter, but I do think the defense value is still there. And, I don't know, 3 and D wings, that obviously yeah. that's the hottest commodity in I basketball. Pretty under Hunter. I, I really liked him in college. I loved that Virginia team. Um, with all my heart, I, I'm head over heels for all those guys. <laughs> I want nothing more than Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, and DeAndre Hunter to pan out um, in DKT, DKT when he comes in. Who do you have at number nine? At nine, I have Terrence Davis, actually, which is pretty high. Um, but I think he's going to be really, really good. And my one critique of my own pick here is that He's going to benefit a lot from that Raptors system yeah. and developing in that Raptors system, but I don't care because he's going to be there and he's going to be really, really good. I mean, he can score from everywhere already. He can shoot the three ball really well. He has a nice in-between game. He has all the tools. He totally impacts winning. He's such a competitive defender. He's good on the ball. I, I like when he plays on the ball. He's great off the ball. He has the right mentality. He was a guy that said, I don't want to go to the wrong situation. I'll go undrafted and bet on myself. He's got Van Vliet written all over him for these Raptors, once again. Except he's more athletic, and I, his shot creation is is awesome. So I, I think at the very least, he's going to be a very, very important 3 and D player for a good team. And at the most, I think the Raptors could do an... I mean, we're talking about Siakam and Van Vliet and these OG, like they're developing everybody. This guy is starting with a better base than almost all those guys, in my opinion. So I, I really like him. I think I might look back on this and find myself being a fool for having someone like Hero over him just because why should Terrence Davis not be better than Hero? But obviously, we are always so biased based on, you know, who was actually a lottery pick and the fact that Davis is undrafted but I love him watching him play he just looks like such an important player every single time you watch the Raptors play who are you know a, a title contender so I, I love Terrence Davis I'm passionate about him he was my nine I love Terrence Davis and he's a trademark favorite of mine so I have to admit though that foolishly because he was undrafted and when I was scrolling through the 2019 NBA draft I he just slipped my mind so he's not on my list but I would like to Slip him in at my number eight. Slip DeAndre Hunter down to my number nine. That's a little bit of revision there. I love TD athletically, defensively. 
I think that he has dog in him. I think that he cares about winning. He shoots the ball really well. I think he's up around 40% from three this year. There's nothing not to like. And of course, he benefits from that Raptors system. He's also just a vintage Raptors player. Like, they have so many quality wings who can get their own bucket and defend the perimeter like him. I love him. He beat out so many veterans for those yeah. minutes. You know, they signed those Hollis Jeffersons, the Stanley Johnsons, and he just took them. Yeah. Undrafted. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll ne- clearly never be as good as a Hotch, but, <laughs> you know... He he's lucky to be five spots away from him. He's lucky to be mentioned in the same draft <laughs> class as the Hotch. So yeah, that was a little bit foolish on my part. But let's move on. Who do you have? In, wait, not the Hotch. I stand by the Hotch. <laughs> I was talking about Terrence Davis slipping my mind. I stand by the Hotch. And if this gets me in with the Wizards community, good, because I've also been a huge Scott Brooks advocate and Jordan McRae. But you didn't want Bradley Beal on your All Star team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one didn't age too well. All right, who do you have at number ten? At number 10, I have KPJ, Kevin Porter Jr. Um, you know, he's a guy that screams upside to me. I think in the right system, he, he could kind of be gold. It's a long shot. It is totally a long shot. But at 10, I'm willing to take that long shot. Um, he's long. I, I think he has the ability to stroke it from outside. You see when he gets hot, he really starts stroking him. Obviously, it, there's not much that backs up that he can be that volume guy from three, but there's so many examples of players in his mold with his coordination and his feel for the game and just natural uh, athleticism turning into three-point shooters. So it's really betting on him being in a good system, which he's not great, and being a good kid, which he doesn't seem like he is (laughs) great. But, you know, that's what we got to hope for the best. We got to hope for the 1% outcome here um, just because – this draft class isn't great, and I don't believe in anyone insanely below him. So I will take a chance on the high-powered offensive game of Kevin Porter Jr. It is a slim, slim chance. But he's really, really talented. He's got a lot in his back, and he has shown the ability to sc- comfortably score from all three levels. Um, he has shown the ability to work in the pick-and-roll a little bit. And I think he had a good rookie campaign. You know, he's a guard that shot 44% from... The field, 33.5% from three, 10 points a game, uh, three rebounds, two assists. Yeah, he's, he, he's a guy that I liked, and obviously, again, in a super dysfunctional situation. And he's um, he was born this decade, so he's got a lot of room to grow. He was born this decade, huh? Yeah. <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> no, he's a newborn. No, he's 10 years old. He's 10 years old. <laughs> um, I considered Porter Jr. I ended up leaving him off, and maybe I'm a pessimist on – ball dominant guards because he's a bucket getter he was a bucket getter at usc and i think that he certainly lived up to that hype and reputation in the nba i was baffled by the fact that the cavaliers took kevin porter jr and darius garland to add to that backcourt with colin sexton because that's not enough ball to go around for the three of them and i think that we saw that this year but the reason that i brought up the point that you know maybe i'm a pessimist on these league guards is because i just find that there's such an overabundance of point guards and I don't know if Kevin Porter Jr. maybe he projects as a two but these guys who who dominate the ball and who can score I just need so much more like even in the best version of that a guy like a Zach Levine he kind of sucks in a way because he doesn't help you win and so that's why I'm out on a guy like Cole Anthony coming into this draft who I'm not like you know I think he's better than Kevin Porter Jr. he has a very intriguing skill set I just see way more situations in which these guys careers go south and so maybe I'm playing it too safe here taking the Hotch third but 
that's kind of the way that I'm playing this draft. I think I would call that playing it safe. I think I'd call call that lunacy. Um, but I was projecting him more as a wing. Uh, just he's played 76% of his minutes at small forward actually this year, and 24% at shooting guard. So uh, you know, I think if he he added some weight, obviously he he should be a guy that can defend people. There's a lot of mindset concerns with that guy. But again, it, it's more fun to include him, and I I do think there's a there's that one percent world where he's a really good player. So, I he's not a three. I mean, he's a maybe he's a two because he he played point in college. He's not a traditional point at all because he doesn't have that playmaking yeah, vision. I, I think they just wanted those three guard lineups exactly. with Garland yeah. and uh, Sexton. So it's like calling I don't know Shea a small forward for those minutes yeah. he plays with Schroeder and CP three. My number ten is Hero. Uh, I, you know, I've been a hero guy. I think I love, he's highly active without the ball. He shot 45 and a half percent on catch and shoot threes, which is ridiculous. He has the touch, but he's not exceptionally creative with the ball and defensively, as I mentioned, there are obviously concerns there, but he has the work ethic. And if you read anything about him, I think that Spolstra is dedicated to developing him as he is with all of their players, but from what I've seen, they basically exclusively work on defense, which I think is promising because he seems to have that dog in him. He's not scared of the moment, and so maybe he can improve there. I feel weird having him below DeAndre Hunter because I just like him more than DeAndre Hunter. I like watching him more, and I certainly liked him relative to the value more, but maybe it's the two-way thing that's that's keeping me to put Hunter above Hero. So let's move on. Who do you have at number 11? I have the Hotch, <laughs> um, and he was close. Uh, with Kevin Porter Jr., just because I did want my top 10 to where I felt like they were all at least going to be decent players, and I don't really feel that with Kevin Porter Jr., um, whereas the Hotch is already a decent player. But, you know, what is there to say other than clearly I'm dead wrong and clearly he, clearly he's the best bet to be the number third, the, the third best player in a draft class. Um, but, yeah, what I wrote about him is He's solid and productive. That's all you can ask for at eleven. He was my he was my shortest explanation. I I, I really I don't find there to be that much interesting with him. I, I I've I've watched him pretty extensively, more than I would think for how bad the uh, not I guess they weren't terrible, but I liked watching Bradley Beal. So I watched the Wizards a lot, and um I just didn't see much there in the in the in the in the upside category, but. You know, you live and you learn. <laughs> the Hodge is awesome. And, and and maybe next year I'm going to be looking at this and quitting any sort of sports journalism work I'm doing because the Hodge is going to be that third option in, in the John Wall, Bradley Beal first seeded yeah. Wizards next year. But I have him at 11. Who'd you go with at 11? What's kind of funny is when I hear you say, like, the he's solid, there's not much more you can ask for at 11. Like, I don't really disagree with that. I think I'm just really pessimistic about the rest of this draft and then a little bit higher on the Hodge than you are because, like, I don't see him being an all-star. Watch the Hodge, man. Watch him go. Yeah, and... I really disliked him coming out of college, too. He was a lot better than I expected him he to be. Was, he was a lot better than I expected, yeah. too. But it's, it's it's a lot of the movement for me. He He yeah. is another guy like Hunter. He's playing uh, the perimeter when he was always just, you know, it's just these fours that, yeah. you know. And it's a movement thing for me. He doesn't – it's how he move, moves. And perimeter players that move like that, they don't – they just have a very, very hard ceiling because it's more standstill shooting, one dribble shooting, all that stuff. But – um. I think we spent more than enough time. Yeah, we've talked about 
on him. My number 11 is Pascal, who was highly productive. Uh, I think that he showed offensive versatility that we did not expect. He wasn't involved in a lot of pick-and-roll action this year, but because of the weird spot that he was in where there just weren't creators and there weren't great ball handlers around him, he got to run some pick-and-rolls as the ball handler. He averaged 1.14 points per possession out of those, which is pretty darn good. Also averaged 1.18 points per possession as the roll man out of the pick-and-roll. So there's the offensive versatility when you also consider he didn't shy away from the three, only shot it at 29%, but he tried it. Obviously, the mid-range game, attacking downhill, working out of the post. And I think that I said what I think he projects as already, a tough competitive defender with the feel, the passing ability, who gets the right spots. I think that he's a, you know, I use this term a lot, a bucket hunter, a guy that, you know, will clean up the glass, will cut, and is just in the right spots for other people to set him up to succeed. So I like Pascal a lot, uh, but he's, at the end of the day, he's not the hotch. So who do you have at number 12? At number 12, I have DeAndre Hunter. Um, I talked about him a lot when you chose him. I think, what would you take, choose him? You moved him down to nine? Yeah. You moved him down to nine? Yeah, so I, I had him around nine, and then I moved him back. Again, I already, I already explained this, but I, I just think if he refines his playmaking, it builds on those perimeter skills, the handle, all that, he'll de- he definitely could be a decent starter, decent 3 and D guy. But, you know, after one year, not enough guys have been failures for me to – cash in cash it in on their their upside so he's a guy that i i don't i don't see much going on in the upside department much like the hotch one pick before him and i I feel safe with the 12 pick you know i i know i'm getting a good player but i'm not i'm not putting all my chips in i think that's reasonable my number 12 is matisse thibel who obviously you are getting overwhelming defensive ability he will be all defense many times in his career, which I don't think we should understate just because he only played 19 and a half minutes per game on a, I guess, you know, a team that underachieved, but still a very good quality playoff team. Only 4.7 points per game, but 1.4 steals per game in those limited minutes. Shot over 35% from three, which I think is really all you can ask from him as far as shot creation, limited, playmaking, limited, but a 35 plus percent three point shooter who defends like he does. And we can assume that he's only going to improve there. Like, yeah, he's a relatively finished product among these guys, but I just, the floor is so high for him because he is all world at one thing. And I think that that's really valuable. Yeah. I like Thibault. I want Thibault with the next pick mainly because it's the heat. And if anyone's going to do it, let it be the heat for that type of mold. But obviously the value's there no matter what he turns into, just because of how crafty of a defender he is. Just all, I mean, really, really fun to watch. You can just key in on him and it's refreshing because the rest of the Sixers are so frustrating to watch. And then um, you get some nice individual work with Matisse Thibel on the defensive end. But, you know, I think the shot will come in a little bit. He's never going to really create for himself, but no one's going to ask him to. And at the end of the day, when you're getting a player that I believe can totally play intense playoff minutes because that defense, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty good value yeah. at 13. Uh, but he, he definitely will need to just be a more consistent threat spacing for because that's all he needs really is that three-point shot to go along with his defense. So we'll see. We'll see. But I like that pick. My number 13 is Kobe White, and not a Kobe White guy. 
but I guess considering just what the upside theoretically could be, I didn't want to completely leave him off. He averaged 13 a game this year, 2.7 assists per game on 39.4% shooting, 35.4% from three. 10 games post-All-Star break, he was averaging 25-4-4 on 47-41-90 splits, and I think a lot of people got really excited. I was kind of just thinking, if you shoot that much, at some point they're bound to go in. He was so, so bad before then, and... I like that he was moved to the two. I think it's one of the few good things that Jim Boylan has done where he basically always played alongside a traditional point because he's 6'4". He doesn't have that natural playmaking. He seems to hate to pass the ball and love to shoot it every single time. So I just think he makes more sense there. But he forces so many shots. I think he gets too sped up in the flow of an NBA game where he just kind of panics and makes poor decisions. He does not give you value defensively. And yes, some of these things may improve with age. And he does have that ability. I mean, he's he's a really good shooter off the dribble, especially. That is a legitimate, valuable skill. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, this is what I was talking about with the volume shooter lead guard types. That is the most overpopulated role in the NBA right now. And he's not a guy that I'm going to bet on becoming exceptional at it and never really contributing to winning. So I would have been fine leaving him off my list. I ended up going with him at 13 because the production is there and he did pick up at the end, but I'm not a Kobe White guy. And honestly, maybe I should have left him off because I don't want Kobe White on my basketball team. So not a Kobe White guy. Yeah, I originally had him on and I I just said, if I'm going to take a chance on a guy that, you know, laid in the lottery that could be that huge scoring guard, maybe in some weird reality, it's not going to be Kobe White for me. And that's why at 14, I went for Cam Reddish. I'm still just drunk on his high school highlights, yeah. and he's never going to be anything. Yeah. And I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm asking for help to get off the Cam Reddish train. <laughs> I'm calling for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just believe in Cam Reddish more. Like, I, I'd, I'd rather have him on my team. I'd rather have that personality where it just se- it seems like he's just so much more willing to learn and adapt Although, you know, he's had so many problems since that freshman year at Duke. But I do think he got a lot better over the course of the season for Atlanta. The stats back that up. Um, how, how his coaching staff and his teammates have talked about him back that up. So I, I, I do think he can be a valuable player. And, of course, he has that skill set where he should be able to score from all over the floor. And he's obviously got the size to defend so many positions, all this stuff. So I, I like Lloyd Pierce drills those guys, man. And and I do believe in that system a little bit in define in refining those um those secondary players next to Trey Young and and making them become the the good defenders, the good shooters, the, the things they need to do in order to highlight Trey Young as the star in that system. So that's why I went with with Reddish here, just because. Yeah, if I'm going to terribly fail on the last pick of this draft, it's going to be on Cam Reddish's shoulders because he can't disappoint me anymore. You know, he can't disappoint me anymore. I've been so high on him for so long. I thought he could end up being the best prospect from that class back in his high school days because he was just a beast. He was so aggressive, so assertive, could score from everywhere. And now we're here. Now we're here, and somehow he's still in my lottery. But he is... And that's how I'm closing it out. Oh, this is really hard for me because now that I included Terrence Davis, I have to cut one of the two guys from the bottom of my lottery who I expected to be in there. And one of them is Cam Reddish. He's one of the candidates. But I'm going to give the other guy the boot 
And I I hate myself for it as well. I too am asking for help because Cam Reddish sucks, but oh, he looks so I good. What you said. I thought you were gonna give Cam the boot. No. And I was gonna say no. way to get help, brother. <laughs> I can't do it, man. I'm on the wagon because he's so fluid. There's no reason he shouldn't be a good defender. But at the end of the day, man, what are we talking about here? He's a 33% three-point shooter. He was a 32% three-point shooter in college. He shoots 38% from the field. But post-All-Star game, 16 a game, 50-39-85 splits. I don't know. Early on, he just looked out of place. He was really sped up. I don't think that he was performing defensively like you wanted him to. And, of course, in an Atlanta system, it's just – it's toxic. Like, it spreads to everyone. It's the same thing that we see in Cleveland where Colin Sexton sucks on defense now. <sighs> but he's 20. <laughs> there's, there's room to grow. I don't know. Born this, of this decade. He was born of this decade. This draft sucks. The other guy that I'm thinking about is Sekou Demboya, who struggles <laughs> to catch the ball half the time, who gets it knocked out on 40% of his drives and, like – I hated Seku coming into this draft because I was like, you know, people look at GMs, look at a guy like Seku and they're like, he's just a canvas man. And you paint with him, whatever you will. And you turn him into Pascal Siakam, but not in Detroit. I don't know. I have my moments with Seku where when he's hitting his threes, I like him and he is a good cutter. He's athletic. He can handle, he has that potential as a break starter. There's some defensive potential there. Although I do think he's a little slow footed and like spacey sometimes on that end where he's just slow to react. He performed well in the G League, wasn't really productive in the league, in the NBA, shooting just 29% from three, giving you about six points a game. But, I mean, he's so chaotic. He's highly unpolished. It's like, if you were to watch Seku highlights, boy, there's a lot to like. But when you watch a Seku full game, like, he genuinely struggles to catch the ball sometimes. Like, he's kind of a spaz. And so, the flashes are enough to where I would consider him for this spot, but... I've been the cynic this whole time talking about what's the most likely outcome. And the most likely outcome is Seku just kind of sucks and is out of the league in five years. Yeah, I would have taken Cam Johnson. And damn it, I should have taken Cam Johnson yeah. over oh, Cam Reddish. Thing, but I won't. And, you know, in five years, I'll, I, I'll be the guy talking about what Cam Reddish could have been if he wasn't overshadowed at Duke by Zion and RJ. Um, and I'm happy to be that guy. Yeah. I've been waiting to be that guy all my life. <laughs> but Cam Johnson's my first honorable mention. And then I'd say Culver, honestly, just because he can catch a basketball. And he also, <laughs> <laughs> he also, I don't know, he competes enough for me. And he's got enough wiggle where I can believe that a 46% free throw shooter that's a guard will be a decent player. But I don't know. That's where I am with Culver, I guess. <laughs> Hell of a lot better than the Hodge. Okay. Um, Culver, I did not really consider. Cam Johnson was the last guy that I considered because, like, yeah, he's old. He doesn't have that much room to grow, but he shot 40% from three. That is a floor that Seku, yeah. Culver, Cam Reddish doesn't have, and he plays defense. So, yes, we should have chosen Cam Johnson <laughs> over Cam Reddish, but what are you going to do? We're drinking the Reddish whiskey. And when I looked at some of the names that I wrote down for the other guys I considered, for some reason I have – Kevin Gelly's name here. I don't, I don't know why. In no world did I consider Mufiandu, but cool. Yeah, I just don't like Culver. Like Culver was bad. He had like two weeks yeah, he where bad. he was okay, but the little versatile wing, kind of a secondary playmaker thing. When he can't shoot I the mean, ball, it's like yeah. it's Evan Turner. He's Evan Turner. I'd like to say, I hated him. 
And you remember this. I have hated him the entire time. And I'm mad at myself now for even giving him an honorable mention because I should have just let this guy go. But the whole, this guy's a Swiss Army knife thing? Yeah. You can't be a Swiss Army knife in the league unless you can shoot at the three. Because yes. you're a guard. You're not going to be, like, you, I don't know. I don't know, man. And it, it's not looking good when you're shooting under 50% from the line yeah. for the whole yeah. for the whole improving thing, especially when you're stuck in Minnesota. Um, yeah, so maybe I'll leave that off. Maybe Cam's my only honorable mention. I also, you can't be a Swiss Army knife when you're not great at any one thing. Yeah. Like, he just is not exceptional at anything, and he never was. And I never... Good, necessarily. Or, or good. Yeah, no, I agree. And he just always lacked that explosivity. He was never really a... I mean, he couldn't really make a jumper off the dribble, so I was not a Culver guy either, and I am way less of a Culver guy now than I was then. Uh, takeaways, I would say this draft is pretty bad a year out. Obviously, you have two guaranteed stars, really and then a third very likely star in Rui Hachimura. But, yeah, no, it's not a good draft. And, you know, I'm, I keep telling myself that there's going to be the third clear. Just because there, there usually is. Yeah. At the very least, there's usually two good all-star, yeah. quality all-stars in a draft class. And then there's at least one guy that makes yeah. a couple. And usually it's a couple guys that make a yeah. few, in fact. You know, even there are draft clubs with five, six. Yeah. But... It's it's hard to believe that one of these names, you know, the RJs, the Dariuses are actually going to take that leap. But I do have faith just because history has taught us over and over again that, you know, these guys are elite athletes and one of them will take that leap. And clearly it's going to be Hajimura. I just think, yeah, clearly it's going to be Rui. I don't even think that. <laughs> I think if anyone's going to take the leap from the, re- from the bunch, it's going to be Garland. I see so, I just see star He's point guard like- qualities in him that I don't see with other people in this draft. So... That's going to do it for us here today. This was fun. It was interesting. We talked about Rui Hachimura for probably 12 total minutes, if I had to guess. And this is going to be a defining I moment. Really got any- I don't think we really got anywhere. We just ran in circles around <laughs> Dewey as a player, which is pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. I think he's above average. You think he's average. I think yeah. that's basically and where we got. Listen, if the Hotch isn't listening to this podcast, I don't know what he's doing. I- because you're not going to hear any more Hotch content than yeah. you are right now. So, share. Share. Also, to the people of Japan, um, hey, <laughs> we're here talking about Rui Hachimura. We love him. To Gonzaga fans everywhere, hey. To the Hachimura family, how are you guys? All right, that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brebber. Alongside me today was Carvel Teft. Hope you enjoyed.